welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today, in the context of the trial of the police officer who is being charged with the murder of George Floyd, the lack of justice in the case of the police killing of Breonna Taylor and other black people killed by the police, as well as the attacks on voting rights, specifically targeting black people, Across the country, black and other communities of color are facing another battle, that of gentrification, where longtime residents are being forced out by high housing costs and being replaced by higher income residents. That battle is playing itself out in the Crown Heights area of Brooklyn, New York City, where a local supermarket favored by local residents is being evicted. Our guest is Alicia Boyd with the Movement to Protect the People. And yet another massacre in Haiti orchestrated by a group that many say has ties with the U.S.-backed government of Jovenel Moïse, who protesters say is serving illegally as Haiti's president. Will this be enough to get the the Biden administration to stop backing the government of Haiti? We speak with Pierre Leboisier of the Haiti Action Committee. For our weekly Earth Watch, Ed Russo, environmental expert, joins us to discuss the GE Mosquito Project. And we get a brief update on what happened uh, yesterday in the Chauvin trial. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. President Biden will announce gun safety executive actions today. They're aimed at addressing what the White House calls a gun violence public health epidemic. Biden has faced increasing pressure to act after a recent series of mass shootings, but the White House has repeatedly emphasized the need for congressional action. While the House passed a background check bill last month, gun violence prevention measures face slim prospects in an evenly divided Senate. Biden also is nominating David Chapman, a former federal agent and advisor at the gun safety group Giffords, to be director of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives. More from Mike Clifford. President Biden today will announce initial steps his administration plans to take on firearm safety along with nomination of a prominent gun safety advocate to lead the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, also known as ATF. Biden will announce the Justice Department is going to pursue two new regulations, one to curb the proliferation of so-called ghost guns, and a second that would regulate stabilizing braces, accessories that can be used to make pistols more like rifles. This is Mike Clifford. The South Carolina House has approved a so-called constitutional carry bill that would let state residents carry guns openly without a permit. Passage of the bill weakening gun safety provisions came after lawmakers earlier approved another bill that would let anyone with a concealed weapons permit carry openly. 
The new measure goes further. It would not require any permits or institute any of the training requirements that were mandated in the first open carry bill. Republicans also amended the bill to bar the state from enforcing any federal gun safety regulations. Under the measure, guns would still be banned in places such as churches, courthouses, and polling places. South Carolina Republicans turned aside the arguments of law enforcement officials who warned against expanding the state's gun laws. Those officials warned the expansion could lead to more gun violence and domestic killings in a state that is often ranked among the worst in the country for such violence. A use of force expert says Derek Chauvin had his knee on George Floyd's neck area the entire time that he was handcuffed behind his back and lying face down. Jody Steiger is a Los Angeles Police Department sergeant serving as a prosecution witness. He testified that his review of video evidence found Chauvin's weight was on Floyd from the time officers put Floyd on the ground until paramedics arrived about nine and a half minutes a prosecutor questions Steiger. Sir, do you have an opinion to a degree of reasonable and professional certainty to how much force was reasonable for the defendant to use on Mr. Floyd after Mr. Floyd was handcuffed, placed in the prone position, and not resisting? Yes. And what my, is that opinion? My opinion was that uh, no force should have been used once uh, he was in that position. Steiger also said bystanders did not appear to be a threat to police. Chauvin's attorney has suggested officers were distracted by the onlookers. Interior Secretary Deb Holland will visit Bears Ears National Monument in Utah today before submitting a review on national monuments in the state. She'll meet with tribes and elected leaders. Holland's visit underscores her status as the first Native American to lead the Interior Department, which has broad authority over tribal nations, as well as energy development and other uses for the country's sprawling federal lands. The Trump administration downsized the Bears Ears and Grand Escalante National Monuments in Utah, drawing fierce opposition from Native Americans. Tribal leaders have noted that places like Bears Ears and Chaco Canyon in New Mexico connect tribal members to their ancestors. They say protecting them is among Native leaders' highest obligations. New York City millionaires would face the nation's steepest income tax rate under a budget plan that Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo is expected to sign into law. The tax for individuals in New York earning more than a million dollars would rise to 9.65 percent. There's another boost for people earning more than $5 million, and for those who earn more than $25 million, New York City opposes an additional tax. Progressive New York Democrats pushed for the tax hike, saying that millionaires in Manhattan penthouses have fared far better in the pandemic than struggling small businesses and low-income New Yorkers. California lawmakers have proposed similar taxes on the state's wealthiest residents. The Biden administration says it has resumed U.S. assistance to Palestinians, including to the United Nations agency that provides support to Palestinian refugees. Nearly all of the funding had been eliminated by former President Trump. I'm Eileen Alfandari for Pacifica Radio.
And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Before we go to our first segment today on Haiti, where a new massacre has recently taken place, uh, <clears throat> just in addition to what you heard in our news headlines, a brief update on the Derek uh, Chauvin trial. On Wednesday, April 7th, that marked day eight of the trial of Derek Chauvin, the white police officer who murdered 46-year-old George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota in May of 2020. On Wednesday, a prosecution expert witness claimed that it wasn't just Chauvin's knee on the neck of Floyd that contributed to his death. But Los Angeles Police Department Sergeant Jody Steiger, a veteran use of force trainer, who is testifying as a paid expert witness for the prosecution, said his review of video evidence in Floyd's arrest indicated that Siobhan was also using a, quote, pain compliance technique, end of quote, on George Floyd's handcuffed left hand. The jury was shown freeze frames taken by a body camera of one of the other officers involved in the arrest that showed Siobhan's hand apparently pressing into and manipulating the palm of Floyd's hand as the handcuffed man was already in a prone position on the pavement pinned under the weight of three police officers. He also noted that the handcuffs on Floyd were not double locked, meaning they could end up ratcheting tighter as the person being detained moves. Except for initially struggling with officers trying to get him into the rear of a a squad car and George Floyd was protesting saying he is claustrophobic. Um, Floyd, they were attempting to take him into custody for allegedly using a phony $20 bill to buy cigarettes. Um, but George Floyd after that showed no signs of resisting and repeatedly complained of pain and that he could not breathe. During cross-examination, Siobhan's attorney, Eric Nelson, grilled Steiger on a series of photographs appearing to show Siobhan's knee on Floyd's shoulder blades at the base of his neck at different times during the encounter. On Tuesday, Lieutenant Johnny Marcel, a use of force trainer for the Minneapolis Police Department, was shown the same series of photos and agreed to be uh, that it appeared to be a prone hold that officers are permitted to apply with the knee on people who are aggressively resisting arrest. Special Agent James Ryerson of the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, the lead investigator in the case, testified that he and his team began collecting evidence in what he described as a critical incident involving police officers within hours of Floyd's death. And of course, today, Thursday marks day nine of the trial. But you know, millions of people around the world saw what they saw. They saw a public lynching by Derek Chavon with the aid of other police officers. And it remains to be seen if um, there will be any justice in this particular uh, case. And of course, uh, uh, getting justice in the case of black people killed by the police, uh, very, very rare, if ever, uh, in the United States. I mean, look at the case of Breonna Taylor um, and what has happened there and to so many others. Uh, so that's our uh, uh, 
brief summary of what happened on day eight of the Derek Chauvin trial. But we're going to turn our attention now uh, to um, the outrage and um, disaster happening in Haiti, across the nation of Haiti. Millions of people are calling for the resignation of President Jovenel Moïse for several years since his election in 2017. Haitians have been participating in mass protests against his government. Moïse has been accused of rampant killings, human rights violations, and acts of corruption. Protesters have also demanded better living conditions, and Moïse has been ruling by decree since January of 2020, when the terms of two-thirds of the parliament expired. And um, the crisis in Haiti just really continues. And the people of Haiti, the first black republic that led to the ending of slavery in the Americas, and they have been punished for that ever since, and have long been undermined by foreign powers, including uh, the United States and their allies on the ground. From being forced to pay reparations for liberating itself in 1804, to being infected with cholera by so-called peacekeepers in 2010, to the U.S.-backed um, overthrow of Jean-Bertrand Aristide, um, still very much beloved on the ground in Haiti and was the first democratically elected uh, president to a series of U.S.-backed fraudulent uh, presidential elections. The people of Haiti are saying they have had enough. And the communities where uh, there have been strong resistance against Jovenel Moïse, they have been specifically targeted. Other communities have been targeted, but uh, beginning with the massacre in, in La Saline, um, very much a stronghold of Lavalas, which is the movement and party of uh, President Aristide. And now on Thursday, April 1st, Haitian Death Squad G9, led by Jimmy Barbecue uh, Scherzer, massacred residents of the Bel Air section of Port-au-Prince, the nation's capital. They arrived unannounced, brandishing heavy artillery as they scaled the roof houses, firing shots and setting homes ablaze. This, according to the Miami Herald. Uh, but to get a sense now of the impact of these massacres, let us go to a clip um, of testimony that we took the Sojourner Truth team when we were on the ground in uh, La Saline, where um, a series of massacres had taken place. And we were the first uh, international news outlet on the ground. Let's hear some of that testimony now. How many of these kinds of shootings have been happening in this area? About eight times. And have people been um, killed or wounded in these shootings? Yes, people have been wounded. People have been wounded, but also people have been killed. But not only they've been killed with the bullet, but they also they burned them. About how many people have been killed and how many wounded? So it's very difficult like, to tell. It's difficult to have like a clear number because there's so many people who come from all over Haiti to live like in this community. So vaguely I would say like she's saying that it will be like like approximately like three thousand people like wounded and, and, and murdered like in these kind of attacks. 
were the people impacted who were killed or injured? Were they all men or were they men, women, and children? There's like children, youth, adult. They all are victims of this kind of attacks. So this community, La Saline, has a reputation of like revolution. They don't really stand with dictatorship since the Makut under the Duvalier. And still now, children here, youth and adults, have like the blood of revolution. So that's why the government doesn't like this community. All righty. Well, that is as part of the testimony that we took on the ground in La Saline. And now to get the latest update on what is happening on the ground, we'd like to welcome back uh, to Sojourner Truth, Pierre Laboissier, one of the most respective progressive uh, voices on Haitian politics. Pierre Laboissier has dedicated his entire adult life advocating for the working poor in Haiti through the Haiti Action Committee, an organization that he co-founded, Pierre Laboissier has tirelessly championed grassroots efforts to improve education, bring about social justice, and develop a stable democracy for the people of his native uh, land, uh, Haiti. Pierre Laboissier, welcome back. Thank you, Margaret. Good morning. Yes, um, Pierre, just, you know, I get chills every time, you know, listening to that testimony uh, from La Saline. And this man uh, known as Barbecue, uh, Jimmy Barbecue Cherizer, he was involved in the La Saline uh, massacres, one of, one of the first of, of a series of massacres uh, taking place on the ground in Haiti. But he is known, uh, first of all, to have connections with the uh, uh, Jovenel Moise's government in Haiti, but also he has been identified as being involved in a series of massacres, but yet he is still walking the streets, holding press conferences, etc. Tell us about this Haitian death squad G9 that uh, Barbecue seems to head, Pierre Lebossier. Yes. yes. Um, since the massacre of La Saline that you have covered, Margaret, um, the Jimmy Cherizier, with the help of the Haitian government and the United Nations, has been able to uh, put together a federation of what they refer to as gangs, but what I prefer to call death squads, uh, throughout the Port-au-Prince area. And so they have come together, they have federated them, and they call them G9 and family, G9 family and allies. And, uh, and why I mentioned the UN, it's not just to mention it like that, because this was stated by a representative of the Haitian government, supposedly in a program aiming at disarmament, which most observers see as a cover to encourage, to finance the development of, of this federation of, of uh, gangs, as the press refers to them. Pierre, let me ask you this. Um, you mentioned the UN. Uh, what about the United States? What is uh, their position or view or perhaps even involvement in all this? Yes, definitely. I mentioned the UN because the official occupation of Haiti that's, that's taking place right now is under a UN umbrella called uh, UN mission called BNU, 
B-I-N-U-H. However, the U.S., that serves as a cover, as a fig leaf. The U.S., this is really U.S. foreign policy at work, same, same way that it was with Minusta and Minu just before. But they use that as the kind of legal or the legal cover for it. And so they had invested money into so-called disarmament. But the disarmament was just a term that was used, according to most Haitian observers, to the Haitian people, to finance, to funnel money, to, to fund these, these armed groups, this federation of gangs. And so they are doing the work of repressing the population, of preventing people from demanding their rights when people take to the streets to demand sovereignty for Haiti, to demand that they, that they as taxpaying citizens of Haiti, receive services that their money is supposed to provide them, such as health care, education, clean water, uh, decent living conditions, uh, better wages in their employment, then they send out that, those death squads to massacre the population, kill the people. And so that's what's going on. And Jimmy Cherizier is a former policeman, and the group that's been recently involved in, in on the massacre of, um, of Bel Air and has been involved in other massacres is called Craché Diffé, which in English would, would translate roughly into Spitfire. And basically they, they, they work together with Cherizier. They are part of the G9 coalition, and they go around killing people, burning houses. In Bel Air, for example, according to various the latest figures that I was able to to see, uh, over eight people were identified as as being killed. There are a number of others who people think who people know are under the ruins and who who haven't been uh, the ruins of their burned homes. People haven't identified them. There is another group of people were taken alive as hostages by the, the G9 of Cherizier and taken away from Bel Air, who nobody knows what has happened to them, and quite a few others wounded. So the figures aren't out. Um, people are still trying to determine how many total, because there are areas of Bel Air where the massacre has occurred that many people cannot go to uh, because the G9 is still operating in that area and may and at any moment will uh, target whether you're press or resident in the area who's trying to come back. So what the result has been is a number of people, and I mentioned, let me mention that uh, one of the figures I saw was over 18 houses burned to the ground, but there are more. But the team that was there looking into this could not go further because they were afraid for their safety as they ventured in other areas that were under attack. What this has done, it has resulted in many people fleeing their homes. Men, women, and children uh, have fled their homes, or sleeping in parks, in the streets, and being totally... Can you imagine one of the um, uh, concrete examples I'll give you of the devastation and what has occurred? There, there is this um, bakery place where the people in the community would buy their bread, and this, it serves as a general store. Now, Thursday, April 1st, people are there working. Bread is made, bread is sold to people, and what have you, thriving community business. And within an instant, 
this group attacks burns the place to the ground. Now a family that used to thrive on its own and, and do its business and provide services and goods for the population, like bread, suddenly it's gone, evaporated, and these people are out there. This happened, this massacre, this latest massacre, Bel Air is right there in downtown Port-au-Prince, near the National Palace. Totally, and you've been to Haiti, Margaret, you know the area. There are so many militarized, specialized police um, outposts throughout this area. And all of this massacre is taking place. People are calling the police. Not one police officer shows up. And, and, um, and actually, I've heard reports that the, the death squad, that the G9, had with, with them tear gas. Now, tear gas in Haiti is not something you walk in a store and buy, same as the bullets and all the ammunition and all those sophisticated weapons that they were using. This tear gas particularly is something that only the police receives. How can this, this gang, this federation of gang, have access to the tear gas that they were using so liberally? I mean, it wasn't just like one. It was being used as if they were police officers and using it everywhere. So um, same way that when you were there in Haiti and you had gone to La Saline and you had witnessed this, you were on the spot where this pregnant woman was burned alive. Well, there is a 74, I believe 74, some people have said 78-year-old man who was sick in his bed. And according to various reports, they stopped him. They went to his house. When I said they, the G9 went to that house, stopped the man and set fire to the home, burning him alive. And this man, and this is, it's horrific. There's a video of his body. It's, it's so many other um, crimes like this that have occurred, from young people, young adolescents, all the way to a 78-year-old, uh, 86-year-old woman was thrown from her home onto the ground and dragged to the streets until people were able to put a stop to it at some point. There was, there was a response from the residents in the community. And so many atrocities like that that, that took place on April 1st, Holy Thursday. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, Pierre, just, uh, it, you know, in so many ways, unimaginable, but it does, it has happened and it is happening right now, what you have described by these uh, death squads. And for our listeners uh, across the country, uh, please know that U.S. tax dollars are implicated with this. I mean, the Trump administration, shortly before he left, sent millions of dollars down to the Moise uh, government. For what? For tear gas, as well as for weapons. So Pierre Lavoisier, who knows, the tear gas uh, being used by the uh, this death squad in the community of Bel Air very well might have been paid for by tax dollars of uh, you and I and people uh, listening right now. But um, Pierre Labossier also, I mean, La Saline uh, traditionally was a center of resistance, of, of uh, people um, 
you know, standing for freedom, standing for democracy. A lot of Haitians say trying to complete uh, the revolution uh, that of, of 1804. But uh, Bel Air, tell us a bit about uh, Bel Air, because I have been there. I've been there uh, with you also, our assistant uh, producer, Romero Funes, uh, with us. He was um, with me on a couple of the trips, uh, including down in La Saline. But tell us about Bel Air. Is that community also uh, a stronghold of resistance to this particular government, Pierre Bassier? Yes. Yes. Bel Air, like Cité Vincent, Tokyo, uh, different areas that were also hit, that were also Cité Soleil, that have also been attacked and continue to be attacked by the G9. Bel Air is a long, long established community where, uh, according to some reports, that there was, uh, um, it, it's, been, it's been just, a community well established. It's a working class community where the people through, through, throughout the entire history of Haiti have always stood up for their rights, have never stopped demanding that their rights be respected, have always uh, advocated for themselves. And so right now, that they, are the, they continue to be targeted. Even during the Papa Doc Duvalier era, Bel Air had stood up with former. Uh, President Daniel Fiolet, who was a, a progressive president, even though he was only allowed to stay in power for 14 days, but he was quite a leader, and, and the people of Bel Air really supported him. And they were massacred by the Haitian military. There was a massacre committed there, which paved the way for Papadoc to come in power. So it's a place with a tradition of standing up because of the demanding improving improve living conditions, better living conditions for their people. It's a stronghold, as you mentioned, of Lavalas, because Lavalas was dealing with issues that affect the daily lives of the people of Haiti and implementing policies to better the lives of the people of Bel Air, the people of Cité Soleil, Cité Vincent, Tokyo, and all those various communities, La Saline and every place. And that's why you see People in Haiti are saying, no, we will not accept dictatorship. We will not tolerate that. We want our, the vision we have for a better Haiti, the vision we have for a Haiti of justice, a Haiti of economic justice. And without exclusion, without social uh, exclusion, without economic exclusion, a Haiti where Haitians will no longer have to be fleeing as refugees to come and to be uh, humiliated and treated in any kind of way and then sent back to, to the hell that the U.S. and the U.N. occupations have turned Haiti into. So yeah. um, that's the community of Bel Air, and that's why they are being attacked. But despite this attack, this is the fourth massacre that has occurred in Bel Air by the G9. Despite these attacks, people fight back. I mentioned the 86-year-old woman who was rescued. Well, people have rocks. They threw rocks. Now imagine rocks against guns and tear gas of a highly trained um, federation of gangs supported by the Haitian government and also supported and financed by the U.S. government under the, the legal um, uh, cover of the United Nations occupation. Right. So, uh, 
And and Pierre, what you describe, I mean, just the the fight back, the 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 revolutionary spirit, really, and fight back and resistance and resilience of people at, of of Haiti unlike anything that I have, have seen. I'm sure it's happening also in other parts of the world. We know about what is going on in, in Burma, known as, as Myanmar, where people are really standing up. But um, Pierre, finally, we, we have to uh, wrap up, but finally, there is now increased attention um, by our friends on the left uh, around Haiti, including our friends in the black left in Haiti. However, it seems you mentioned uh, Lavalas earlier. The the powers that be, the core group, the United States, the the UN, Canada, it seems as though they would practically put anybody in power rather than someone from Lavalas, which means flash flood of the party of Jean-Bertrand Aristide. Uh, and I suppose they're feeling that this would be a government that they could not control, right? As when President Aristide was in, in power, that certainly was the case. And why two coups, U.S.-backed coups, were orchestrated against him. But now it seems as though the progressive left in the United States and in other parts of Western countries, including the black left, that they are also promoting other so-named uh, uh, leaders uh, selected by I don't know whom, but they also seem to be bypassing uh, Lavalas. It's just an interesting phenomena that I see happening, and I'm, I'm starting to really call it out and call it the solidarity industrial complex. I don't want to put you in any situation, Pierre. That's, that's me, right? Me, Margaret Prescott. But I'm wondering um, just some final words on the kind of confusion that is being created in people's minds about who is who on the ground in Haiti. Pierre Lobassier. Well, what you have described, Margaret, you are correct, and um, so and, and I and I support what you said. Uh, you called it exactly as it is, because what's happening it's it's um, it's the marginalization of the Haitian people, because Lavalas is not something that President Aristide or Father Aristide at the time dreamed of and say, oh, there it is, uh, you all come join me. It came from the people's movement, the people gave birth to with the majority population. And that's why any free, fair, credible election, every one of them where Lavalas was allowed to participate, overwhelmingly Lavalas was elected. And and I will quote a young woman who I was translated for at the time when she was applying for political asylum back in the mid nineties. She said no, President Harris didn't need to campaign for for the elections. We campaign, the people campaign for him, and the people put him in office. And, and that describes the relationship. So despite everything, every marginalizing that, um, that the big powers are trying to do, it's marginalizing the people, their demands, their demands to be free, their demands for sovereignty. The, the people of Haiti, despite all the millions of dollars that, um, of the taxpayers' money, that the U.S. has spent to demonize and marginalize Lavalas for me, Lavalas, it remains very deeply ingrained in the hearts of the people, and the people talk about it. That's why Sali Public, which is the government of public safety, which is a proposal that for me Lavalas had presented about uh, in 2018, November of 2018, 
and that's what is gaining ground in Haiti. What it says, it calls for the movement, people, the population, to designate honest, credible people to um, form a government of transition to address the immediate needs of the population, the need for health care, the need for housing, the need for good employment, the need for security, public safety, uh, health care, to address those needs and then lay the basis for a transition period that will, whereby there will be, at the end of that 36-month uh, transition, the basis will be laid, the foundations will be laid for elections that are honest, where the people's voice, one person, one vote, will truly be uh, implemented, and what and the government that comes out of that will be truly representative of the Haitian people. But as we see in Georgia, you have a little clique that's in the, that's at the top. It's a predatory uh, ruling class which doesn't want the people who have a seat at the table to determine, to make decisions on policies, such as how their tax money is being spent, such as the resources of Haiti, whether it will be that it should be used for the majority population, for their well-being. They just want to grab it, to take it. And that's what they call privatization, just to benefit one or two families that dominate the Haitian economy. So people in Haiti are very aware of the nature of this struggle. They are very aware of their position, and that's why people are saying, unless we resist, we will not exist. And people are very strong on this. Right. Well, Pierre Labossier, I'm afraid we are going to have to leave it there. But just to say, you know, all of us wake up because all kinds of COINTELPRO-type operations that was used against the civil rights movement, the militant black movement, um, movements uh, before definitely operating on the ground in Haiti and a lot of uh, manipulation uh, going on. So, um, you know, and, and really creating a lot of uh, confusion on the part of people who may very well want to know what is happening on the ground in Haiti. So, Pierre Labossier, thank you for your work. But for people who really want to find out the truth of what's happening on the ground in Haiti and who's who, um, what website can they get information on for Haiti Action Committee? Yes, people can go to the Haiti to HaitiSolidarity.net. HaitiSolidarity.net. We're also on Facebook, uh, Haiti Action Committee Facebook, and you can get information. And I just want to add some, Margaret. You know, the, the, the gang, Crashé Diffé, the death squad, it's made entirely of former policemen. And all of those were trained by the, by the U.S. and Canada and uh, as part of the U U.N. mission. So um, this is something, the connections with the U.S., with police violence in the U.S., police killings in the U.S. is very strong. So when you see the police acting that way in Haiti, well, that's, that's exactly where they got their training, from U.S. and Canadian police. So, right. yeah. Well, thank Pierre Labossier, thank you so much for your just incredible work. Uh, for so uh, many decades, and I have seen the importance of your work, but also that people on the movement, grassroots people on the ground, they know very well who is who and who's who's doing what and how you are received when you are on the ground in Haiti. Pierre Labossier, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.
All righty. We are going to take a short station break. And then uh, coming up, what is going on in Crown Heights, uh, Brooklyn, where residents are rising up to try to save from developers a local uh, supermarket and also our weekly Earth Watch. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You can take my body, you can take my bones, you can take my blood, but not my soul. You can take my body, you can take my bones, you can take my blood, but not my soul. is at the purchaser's option by Rhiannon Giddens. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. You're a member of Facebook. You can like and friend us on Facebook, our handle on Instagram and Twitter at So True Radio. And we are nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And today I'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners um, all over the boroughs, the five boroughs of New York city and internationally i would like to give a shout out to our soundcloud listeners throughout the caribbean region we are now going to turn our attention to an area of a uh, called crown heights in brooklyn uh that is overwhelmingly a black community a lot of people from uh the caribbean it's like caribbean headquarters in uh crown heights uh brooklyn and i'll have to say that when i lived in brooklyn uh before uh, moving to california California, that was the place that my family, we immigrated from Barbados uh, to Crown Heights. So this particular story um, has really a lot of uh, meaning um, for uh, my family. And um, residents in Crown Heights are campaigning to save Associated uh, Market, which is a supermarket considered the staple of the community. And, um, you know, Associated, they have been there for over 50 years. And prior to um, Associated being in that same spot, there was also a supermarket there. It was known as the A&P. People may not uh, remember, a lot of young people may not remember the A&P, but then there was a name change uh, to Associated Market. So that supermarket has been a center uh, for the community for uh, so many years. Uh, so many years. So what I'd like to do now is to uh, welcome our guest who has been campaigning, part of the campaign to save Associated, uh, Alicia Boyd, who's based in Brooklyn, New York. Alicia is involved with the movement to protect the people. Her organization works to give people back their voices and their power in the community. And the movement to protect the people is active in struggles against gentrification, environmental devastation, station and impose poverty. Alicia, um, I know what um, Associated meant to my late mother. 
uh, Elsa Prescott, who was a, a weekly ritual, especially my sister, Roz Prudhomme, reminds me that on Tuesday she would go down to Associated to get the 5% uh, senior discount for other seniors. My sister and her husband fall into that category. My cousin, Novaline, and others who uh, can drive right to the parking lot. Uh, that's really important for a lot of people, uh, particularly people who are older, people with disabilities, so they're not carrying tons of bags from the supermarket um, and making that long walk home. Uh, so tell us what is going on with Associated. Um, you all have been campaigning. You've collected uh, several thousand signatures. What is the situation now on the ground? Um, it's interesting that you talk about this, the fact that there is a parking lot and, and the accessibility to our seniors using that because that's exactly why they want the property, because there is a parking lot and because there is a, a large swath of land. There's also some proposed development right next to it that has been um, demolished. So what they want to do is they want to just buy up that entire block and then put a monster building the way they've been doing all over New York City, maybe between 30 to 50 stories. Um, and then, obviously, underneath the guise of affordable housing, um, which is a, the, the regular ploy that developers give when they come into low- to moderate-income communities, which really don't create any affordable housing for the existing residents and actually just spur gentrification and displacement. So what we've been doing um, is we've been protesting on a weekly basis going to um, John Usad's um, he is the chairperson of um, the organization, the company that has been trying to, that owns the property and has been uh, attempting to evict uh, the tenants, the associated supermarket, so he can create this multi-million dollar deal so he can make money. So we've been going over to his house on Park Avenue, and if anybody knows anything about real estate, Park Avenue is considered one of the richest city streets in the world. And so here you have a man who lives on one of the richest streets in the world coming into a low to moderate income community and wanting to take away an essential commodity, an essential uh, component of the community just to make money. And so we are definitely doing vigils on a weekly basis in front of his home um, to let him know that you can't come into any community that you want. He's also filed a lawsuit against the supermarket itself, um, making the claim that he's losing millions of dollars because the supermarket has decided to fight back, joining with the community to protest um, their removal. So it's a very frivolous lawsuit, but it's common for big-time, multimillion-dollar companies and corporations to engage in frivolous lawsuits because it's very time-consuming and also it costs a lot of money in order to, for anyone to defend themselves. 
Right, so, and, and uh, to try to in, intimidate uh, the community, really. And, um, you know, Alicia, I remember also, and my sister was reminding me that um, over on Bedford Avenue, which isn't that far away from Associated, there used to be another supermarket that was shut down. And uh, I think there's a drugstore there now, right? And, you know, the Crown Heights in that particular uh, area, I have watched myself, the gentrification happening from when I was in high school there. I, I, I went to Prospect Heights High School. Um, what has been happening with that community, the rising uh, cost of uh, home prices, but also the, a, a food desert that we see not only in that particular community, but we see in black and brown communities across the country um, where people don't have access to good quality and low cost uh, food. So uh, certainly associated plays a role in that and also in terms of employing uh, people from the neighborhood. So tell us about the connection with that, with the, the food deserts with gentrification and also the support that Associated has given to the local community, Alicia? Well, one of the, one of the ironies about the, the creation of a food desert, in which it would create a food desert, I mean, we, we looked at the community and people would probably have to walk another three quarters of a mile to get to another store um, that could be comfortable in price range and quality. And so between a quarter of a, three quarters of a mile to a mile. And for our seniors, that will be a serious burden. And of course, it would cause a food desert. However, this caused something called the FRESH program that has been instituted. And that's supposed to address the idea of food deserts. But the problem with that program that was instituted about a decade ago is that all it does is create supermarkets at a high end because it's connected to new development. And new development then creates, you know, they break down the existing, they take away the existing stores, and then they bring in high-end stores like Whole Foods. And, um, and these high-end stores are very high in price, and so the, the, the existing population can't afford it, nor do they really cater to the ethnicity. Um, and so that's one of the wonderful things about associates when we're talking about some of the benefits is that they house products from the Caribbean. They house products that are for vegan people. They house products for a different array of residents who live in the community because it's a small, you know, mom and pop store in that respect. They're owned by the same family for the last 30 years. People have worked only there. The, the manager, his name is Manny, he's only worked his entire life in that store. So he knows the people, he knows the culture, he knows the residents, and they cater. They give, every time you have a, a for example, when they have um, block parties, you know, people come to the supermarket and they'll donate water, juice. I know my block has gotten water and juice and frankfurters and hot dogs and and so, you know, things for the for the yeah. for, And so they've given that to the community. And then, as you had mentioned, they also have the senior days and discounts for seniors and elderly. So it's really a community-centered environment where you're catering to the existing population. But when you remove it and then bring it, bring something high end, that high end will no longer provide those services. 
Right. And, and a lot of people can't afford it. And, and Alicia, right. we're going to have to wrap this up. But I know for sure that if you don't go there, there's a long walk down Empire Boulevard to try to get to, you know, uh, another market. And then, God forbid, you go down to, um, I think, Flatbush Avenue. There's a, a, a supermarket there and, and they, uh, which is some distance, quite a walk for people yeah, in the Crown Heights area. And they're also known for some uh, racist um, incidences as well. But Alicia, for, for people who want to um, support uh, your campaign, the campaign of others to save Associated, what can they do? Is there some place they can go to sign a petition or get information, that sort of thing? What should they do, Alicia Boyd? Yes, they can go to our website, is uh, saveassociated.com. Um, and you can go to that website. It has all the information. There's links to our petition. There's also links to our fundraising because we are trying to raise money for le for a legal challenge um, mm -hmm. to su support our position that this supermarket should stay. And definitely, if people are local, you can get in contact with our local elected officials, uh, Lori Cumbo, Councilwoman Lori Cumbo. Um, is supposed, you know, hasn't come out and supported us as far as attending rallies. She's made some statements in the newspaper, but that has not really materialized. Um, so putting some political, local political pressure could also be helpful. Um, right. And also contacting the mayor, and because the mayor is aware of this issue. Reporters have brought it to his attention. And so even if you don't know our local elected official, you know the mayor. So give, them a, give him a call and say, what are you doing about that associated? Right. Okay. And, and the whoever you can contact from, the mayor, the governor, et cetera. Alicia Boyd, thank you so much for the work that you're doing to um, help to protect the supermarket and my uh, old uh, community. We appreciate you. And please keep us posted on this. And, and we wish you a lot of success with your effort. Thank you for joining us. Well, and thank you again for having us. All righty. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We're going to wrap our show up now with our weekly Earth Minute, uh, Earth Watch, that is. I'd like to welcome Ed Rousseau, environmental expert, author, entrepreneur, and member of several voluntary and government boards. He serves as CEO of Watergen USA. He's president of the Florida Keys Environmental uh, Coalition and a member of the board of directors of Reef Relief, a member of the Monroe County Climate Change Advisory uh, Board, among others, and he is also a member of the Board of Pilot Commissioners for the state of Florida. Ed Russo, thank you for joining us. Oh, that's amazing. More than person this morning, Margaret. Okay. And, you know, Ed, with, with all of that that you're doing, you're doing quite a, a lot of work there. We had begun to cover this whole business about genetically engineered uh, mosquitoes, GE mosquitoes, a few years back. So fill us in now on what is uh, happening with it. First of all, tell our listeners what is a GE mosquito, right? And um, what are the issues? What are the problems around it? So, as I was saying, mosquitoes are the, uh, are the, uh, the animal they consider mosquitoes animals that kills more human beings in the world than any, any other animal, and it's a dangerous uh, disease-borne problem that uh, promotes uh, dengue and Zika and chikungunya and a lot of diseases all over the world. And these uh, people have come up with a technology that looks very promising that instead of using pesticides, that they uh, change the, genet the genetically 
uh, structure, the germ structure of, of mosquitoes, to have them go out and propagate. And when they propagate, uh, uh, they kill off all, all their mates, which sounds really great. And uh, we originally supported that. But after you pull back the onion and do some research, it just does not provide protection necessary. And it's just amazing. Like, when, I, I guess we were all focused on climate change. Uh, corporate interests and their lobbyists were changing the federal and state laws all over America. So, like, you, uh, right now, they're they classify these genetically modified mosquitoes as an experimental pesticide, and 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 the EPA and everybody else has approved this and says, well, we don't have to require independent, corroborated analysis. So all the information that's being used to allow this to happen is coming from the corporation that is making the mosquito, and we're outraged down here, and we've been protesting. We have billboards, and uh, it is just not a, a Florida Keys problem because these things move. Mosquitoes fly. And wind takes them everywhere, and he gets into our food chain, and he, there's a lot of fish being caught throughout the Florida Keys, and that gets traveled all over the world. So this is just not our problem. The people of America should realize that, as has happened in the past, when you mess around with Mother Nature, there are un, uh, unproven consequences that can cause all kinds of health problems everywhere. So this is kind of an alert, and I, I appreciate you giving us the opportunity to let people know that genetically modified concepts are fine. But you better be able to do your homework and, and, and push this through a very high level of scrutiny to protect your friends and family. Yeah. And, you know, we also want to thank the Global Justice Ecology Project. Uh, we partner with them for our weekly Earth Watch. But, um, Ed Russo, for people who want to support your efforts and, and get involved with, with what you're doing, uh, what should they do? Well, you can get on Facebook. Yeah, I guess I still enjoy that. But you get on the uh, um, the Florida Keys Environmental Coalition uh, webpage. We have several Facebook things and interact and become educated. Learn more about this because these mosquitoes are going to come to your door very quickly. We have to make sure that everybody realizes what's important and how to protect your friends and family and people with immune deficiencies, asthma, respiratory problems, uh, people who are pregnant or want to be pregnant. There are all kinds of problems that have not been tested. There's been no clinical biological tests done to protect the people of the world from these genetically modified mosquitoes. And when they get loose, which they want to make this happen very soon, we don't know what's going to happen. And that's not the way the process is supposed to work. Right. And there are already enough people, there are millions of people around the world who die just from uh, pollution and, and climate change on, on top of that. So uh, really important work in terms of what you're doing, Ed Rousseau. Thank you for joining us and please keep us posted on your progress with your efforts Thank there. You Thank much. you. Thank all righty. Uh, we are out of time. I'm afraid today's show produced by me. That's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank all of today's guests and all who helped with today's show. Um, our, uh, I'd like to thank our assistant producer, um, Romero uh, Funes, and our audio engineer today, Kiana Williams. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives uh, at 1-800-735-0230. Go online to PacificaRadioArchives.org. Thank you so very much for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott, and you all, please stay safe. <laughs>